Well, good morning, everyone. How are you doing? Awesome. I'm doing great. I love that people are starting to ask the preacher like <laughs> how they're doing. That is so good. It makes me feel good about myself. Um, but my name's Evan. I'm the Eastwood Campus Pastor. And uh, thanks for showing up on the worst Sunday of the year. <laughs> the fact that we are still living by farmer's code is just weird to me. Um, but you guys are extra holy for being here. So good job. Not quite as holy as the 9 a.m. crowd. Okay, they woke up even earlier, we're here. Uh, you guys are half holy, so that's good. That's good. Uh, we are continuing our journey through this series called Road Back to You, based off of that book right there. Um, it is an ancient, ancient personality test called the Enneagram that was formed around the idea of helping people grow closer to God, understanding yourself with discipleship uh, in the uh, forefront of all that. And so well, we are two weeks away. We have this Sunday where we're talking about the eights, and then next Sunday we're talking about the nines, wrapping it up. We're just so excited. Uh, it's been a great series just seeing so many people engage and talk about uh, who they are, how they're they're wired, how God created you, and trying to understand each other as well. And so today we're looking at the eights, and they are called the challenger or the influencer. Um, oftentimes, there's this unfortunate stigma around an eight that they can be bossy, assertive, and aggressive. We got people giggling up here, and an amen from another eight. I know this person well, so... Um, so it, it is fun to just kind of engage us. But anyways, uh, I just think those are really unfortunate uh, descriptors for the eight. I think more accurate descriptors would be passionate, go-getters. They're influencers. They lead. Oh, here we go. Come on, we're preaching now. The eights are speaking up. Please don't charge the stage, though. We got secured here right now. <laughs> But God designed the eights to be uh, the ones who stand up to fight the, against the injustice that they see in this world, to speak into those areas that, that, um, that, that, that people are struggling in, the injustice. They fight for the underdogs of this world when eights are healthy and pursuing God's agenda. And so that's where we're going. And so today we're going to pick up where our story left off last week around King David and this woman named Bathsheba. And so let me just catch you up super quick. King David, king of the Jews, he's up on his roof one day and he sees this pretty lady bathing named Bathsheba. And he says, I want her. So he sends for her. She comes. They sleep together. He takes advantage of her and she ends up being pregnant. And so Bathsheba is married to a guy named Uriah. Uriah is fighting in David's army. Uriah is out there fighting and David is taking advantage of his wife. And so King David, he comes up with this idea. All right, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to have Uriah come back home for a little bit, take a break from the battle, and he's going to sleep with his wife while he's home. And then problem solved. We'll just blame the pregnancy on him. And so he, he calls for Uriah. Uriah comes back from the battlefield. And uh, he is a good dude. He has friends who are out there fighting. Friends who are on the battlefield. And he says, no, I'm not going home. I'm going to stay on guard and I'll be here at the palace. I'll sleep right outside. So David's plan falls through. So he comes up with another plan. Well, okay, tomorrow I'm going to uh, get David drunk. Or I'm going to get Uriah drunk. 
And then he'll sleep with his wife. And so he gets Uriah drunk, but Uriah, again, he is a good dude. And he says, no, I'm not going home. My friends are out there fighting for you. I'm going to stay right here and be on guard at the palace. So his plan falls through again. So David comes up with a third plan, thinking this one will surely work. And it's an awful plan. He gives Uriah a note to take to the general. And so the general gets handed this note, and the note says, put Uriah right on the front lines. And sure enough, Uriah dies at the hands of the Ammonites. And so now David takes Bathsheba as his own, and he thinks the problem is solved. But the problems are just beginning for him. These are just the, the tip of the iceberg of what's actually going on with David and what's about to happen to him. And so let me just sh share this right off the, uh, the bat. We may be able to fool each other with our sins. You can fool your boss, your coworkers, neighbors, spouse, uh, your pastor. You can fool anybody with your sin, but you'll never be able to run from it with God. You cannot fool God when it comes to your sin. He is aware of it, and he'll make sure that we deal with this. So that's where we pick up. God sends Nathan, a prophet, someone that we would look at and say, oh, they're probably an eight. They're probably a challenger. So Nathan, this prophet, goes and talks to, to David. And what a prophet is, is they are people who God says, I need you to speak on my behalf. And so that's what a prophet is. So let's pick up in 2 Samuel chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. So the Lord sent Nathan, the prophet, to tell David this story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised that little lamb and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. Gross. <laughs> so gross. If you do that with any of your animals, I'm judging you right now. That is disgusting. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. That's cute. I, I'll let you do that. <laughs> One day, a guest arrived at the home of the rich man. But instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guests. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to, be, or to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. So Nathan presents the situation, hoping that it clicks with David, but it doesn't at all. It doesn't land with David. David instead says, that man who took the other people's pet, he deserves to die. Now hear me, I have two cats, two dogs, some fish, and probably a few mice somewhere in the house. <laughs> I love animals. I love pets. But even if my neighbor did something awful to one of my pets, I don't think I would suddenly go to the judge and be like, kill him, Okay. That just shows how furious David is in this, that he is just not getting it. And so Nathan, this challenger, he then speaks directly to him. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. The Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. 
From this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. This is a beautiful picture of how a healthy eight challenges injustice. That they step up and challenge the status quo. That they see a problem in this world that this is not okay. And so they step into it. And they challenge it. And this is a beautiful picture of how they work. You see, eights reflect God's power. Eights reflect God's power. God made you powerful. He made you powerful. He gave you this gift to step into those dark areas and bring light. To challenge those status quo, the, the things that just kind of happen and it's unfortunate. He made you to step up and be like, that's not okay. Now I'm a big, huge comic book nerd. And so as I was working through this message, I was like, oh, I have a great quote for that. And it's by Uncle Ben, Spider-Man's uncle. Someone giggled. I <laughs> love it. With great power comes great responsibility. When you have power in your life, when God gives you power, when he places you in a spot of influence, there is amazing responsibility that comes with that. And he trusts you with it. Eights, you have the power, the influence, the ability to send companies in the right direction, to build people up, to change people's lives through the love of Christ. But on the flip side of that power, if you use it for unjust ways, if you use it for selfish ways, you can send a company in the wrong direction. You can tear people down and you could end up crushing the people around you. You see, God gave you this power to fight for good, to fight for injustice, and to stand up for people. And so I want to take a quick look at the healthy side of an eight. That when an eight is healthy, these are the things that they're cooking with. The things that they are just pouring into and influencing things in positive ways. And then we're going to shift gears and look at the unhealthy side. That when an eight is living in an unhealthy part of their life, this is, uh, these are the things that happen. And so first of all, a healthy eight is strong and confident. In a world where people don't know what they're doing, in a world where they don't know what to do with their life, they don't know what they should do as a career or where to go or what to do, an eight knows exactly what they're about. They know exactly what they should do with their lives, where they should go. And they could probably tell you where you should go too. <laughs> Eights aren't wishy-washy. They don't get caught up in currents or fads. They are on the straight and narrow. I'm sticking to this path. And no matter what comes at me, I'm heading in this direction. You see, eights aren't led by their head or their heart. They're led by their instinct, by their gut. There is something inside of them that just doesn't sit right around things. And so they step up to it. Eights want the world to be more just. Eights want the world to be more just. We need more healthy eights in this world to stand up for the, uh, and fight the injustice that we see. We can picture Dr. Martin Luther King as an eight. 
Here's this man, part of the black community, who, who was being beaten down, pushed aside, not cared for. And he stands up to the most powerful nation this world has ever seen. And he changes it forever. He saw people who needed rescuing. And he says, I'll be the one to go to battle for them. Eights charge the battlefields. They're on the front lines. They're leading that charge. And they say, this is not okay. Eights communicate directly. Eights communicate directly. Nathan, after he tries using this story to try to get David to understand what happens, he finally says, listen, that dude I'm talking about, you're him. You're the one who took advantage of someone who uh, was already beat up, downtrodden. This man was fighting for you, and you took advantage of him and his wife. Eights communicate directly. Eights lead and influence other eights to get things done. Man, you want, you want to get a project done, put an eight in charge of it. They're going to start influencing things around them, and they will make it happen. They will get it done, and it will be beautiful. Eights can take a company on the brink of disaster and revitalize it. Think of Apple. Apple was growing. They were coming up with creative, awesome things, awesome products underneath Steve Jobs. He gets pushed out, and all of a sudden, Apple begins to become irrelevant. They start falling away. And so Apple brings Steve Jobs back on. And he sits there and he looks around the room, all the employees, and he says, do you guys understand what's happening at Apple? And no one could give him why Apple was failing. And he simply says, because our product stinks. He communicated directly with them. He saw the problem. Here's our solution. Let's get to work. And now Apple leads in so many categories in our, in our uh, world. So eights, they can lead and influence things to get stuff done. Eights are protective of those they see vulnerable. That's what moves an eight. They recognize people who need help in this world and they say, I am going to be protective of them. I'm going to stand up for them. I'm going to pour in to them. Think of Dr. Martin Luther King again. He noticed that his own community was vulnerable were being taken advantage of, and he stood up. Think of Nathan. Uriah was taken advantage of by David. His wife was taken advantage of, and Nathan gets sent by God to challenge it, to say this will not happen again. Think of an egg. Think of an egg. An egg has this hard exterior, a shell. It's like an armor, but on the inside, there's this mushiness of an egg. And that's exactly the way an eight is wired. They have an armor on them. God created them to be powerful, to be battle ready, to charge the front lines of any type of issue that's happening. And it's all because of what's on the inside. On the inside, man, they care about the, 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 uh, the tenderness. They care about the vulnerable people. The people who are voiceless, they speak out for. The people who are down and out, they stand up for. Um, 
I'll give you guys a little glimpse of behind the curtain how we operate here at the church. Uh, whoever is preaching uh, a Sunday, their message is prepared about five weeks ahead of time. And so every Thursday morning, we preach to each other, the staff. Whoever's preaching, they stand up here, we sit in this room, and we just preach that message. And then we gain insight from each other. Oh, I really love that part. Make sure you hit that part more. Or, hey, this part didn't quite land. Let's tweak that. Um, and so uh, we were talking about this egg idea. And one of our staff members, I won't say uh, his name. He's the DeWitt campus pastor. <laughs> um, he says, hey, I heard one time that if you take an egg and you stand it up on its end, it's impossible to crush it. That you can't with your bare hands just crush this egg, but when an egg is on its side, you can crush it. And it's this beautiful picture of how um, an eight, when they're laying down, when they're just down and out, and it's like, man, you're just being crushed. But when an eight is strong and healthy, standing up, man, you can't stop them. They're unbreakable. And so just the other day, I was like, I'm going to test this theory. <laughs> so I planned on having two bowls up here, right? One where I take an egg on its side and I crush it and it's easy and then my hands are gross. Um, and so then in my kitchen the other day, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm working on this message. I got to test this theory. So I grab this egg and I'm holding it like this in my kitchen. And I'm like, oh yeah, that is hard. But I love a challenge. <laughs> so I go... And I crushed this egg. <laughs> and what I found out was that you can crush an egg like that. The only difference is it projects the yolk out <laughs> all over your kitchen wall. And you move things so dogs can come and lick it up. So I was like, I'm not using that example. <laughs> But I still like the example of how an egg has this hard shell, this armor, this, they're battle ready, man. They're ready to charge in for people. But on the inside, they're moved by the softness inside of them. That they themselves are not hardened like cold people. No, man, what's inside of them, what moves them, what makes them battle ready is that they have a heart for the lost people. For the people who, who, who need someone to speak into their life. And they go to battle for them. So there's this litmus test I thought would be really good for us to try to figure out. Are we in a healthy season or an unhealthy season? And it's this question right here. Who am I fighting for? When it comes to you challenging things in your life as an eight. Are you challenging them for yourself? Or are you challenging them for others? An eight that's healthy focuses on the one lost sheep, while an unhealthy eight is focused on the 99 that are already saved. Jesus clearly states that he would get the 99 to a safe spot and then he's going after the one. A healthy eight is the one who goes after that lost sheep. A unhealthy eight is the one who's still focused on the 99. A healthy eight pursues other people's opinions and preferences, what would get them to Jesus, while a unhealthy eight, they are more concerned with what they think is best, what they want in life. And ultimately, eights are in pursuit of tenderness and mercy. This is what moves them deep inside their core. 
They want to bring more tenderness and mercy to this world. They're battle ready. They are battle ready. They have been created with the power of God to move this world. But they're fueled by tenderness and mercy. So another litmus test for us to kind of work through the who am I fighting for is do you use phrases like this? Only God can judge me. Love me or leave me. It's just who I am. Those phrases, if you're using that with the people around you, there's a good chance that that doesn't make you healthy, but rather unhealthy. If you're having to excuse how you're treating people around you, that is a clear indicator that you're in an unhealthy season of your life and God created you more, created you for more than just that. He didn't create you for your own will, your own agenda, your own preferences. He created you to reach into the dark places of this world so that way you can rescue other people. God doesn't create jerks. We become jerks when we're unhealthy. And God created you, eights, to have a strong passion to challenge the injustice of this world. You weren't created with a megaphone in your hand to scream at people. You were created with an, uh, an armor to charge that field and to search for that one lost sheep. Who are you fighting for? And ultimately, that's what your superpower is as an eight. Your superpower is advocacy. You were created to speak up for people who can't. When people are being beaten down, abused, taken advantage of like what Uriah was, you're the person who leads that charge into that battlefield and says, this is not okay, and it has to stop. You were put on this earth to give voice to the voiceless. Now, I want to shift gears real quick and look at the unhealthy side then, the things that eats when they're living in an unhealthy uh, season of their life the things that they can struggle with. So the first thing is their core sin, which is lust. Now, just like every single number, when you see that core sin, it could be like, boy, I don't know about that one because it sounds like, like harsh. I did it with my own when I was working through the book and I saw that fives, that their core sin is greed. I'm like, what? Like, I give money away. I don't care. Like, I'm not greedy. But when you break it down, you understand, oh, the greed was about myself. I hoard myself from people at times. That I love to retreat and be by myself. I've been battling a cold this morning. You guys are lucky. I'm doing real good right now. First service, I gagged a few times on stage from coughing. I was up here like, <laughs> and finally I was like, uh. <laughs> I kid you not, after first service, I walked out, uh, four different people handed me handfuls of uh, cough drops. Kid you not, I've gone through most of them already. So I'm doing good right now. But as a five, like if they put me in quarantine for two weeks, I'm like, great. <laughs> like I get to be by myself for a few weeks and that sounds great. <laughs> but anyways, back to the core sin, okay? So it can be difficult at first to try to understand like what that means for you. So let me break this down. Lust, it does not mean sexual desires, that is absolutely part of lust. But what lust actually means is selfish desires. The thing that an eight can struggle with when they have all this power 
is selfish desires, that God gifts you with all this power. And so instead of um, kind of getting things done his way through his will for his agenda, instead you do it for yourself. You make decisions that benefit you above other people. Ultimately, this is all motivated by your core motivation, which is control. Eights love control. And when you're healthy, that's when leadership takes over. Some of the greatest leaders our world has ever seen were eights. They were people that were in control, but doing it in healthy ways. Healthy leadership. But some of the most difficult, authoritative leaders in this world were also eights. And that's because they lusted after more and more control. And it turned into this endless cycle where you, uh, you uh, experience control and you're like, ooh, I can get things done my way. And so you want more control. And then you can get more things done your way, that selfish desire, and then you get more control. And it becomes this unhealthy desire between control and lust. And this leads to the kryptonite. If you guys remember when I preached on uh, the fives, I said, I'm the cool pastor that if we're going to talk about superpowers, let's talk about kryptonite. No one else wanted to do it. Bad idea. But I'm still doing it. <laughs> so your superpower is advocacy. But when you struggle with this lust and this desire for control over and over and over, here's what happens. It becomes the kryptonite to your superpower. You become relationally clueless. And that hurts to hear. It hurts to hear. You see, God created every single one of us for relationships. And eight, potentially more so than any other number. It is so key that you pursue healthy um, choices and uh, just a healthy lifestyle. Because you were gifted power. You were gifted influence in this world. God trusted that gift with you, for you. And when you use it for your own selfish desire to get things done your way because you think you're right all the time, it makes you relationally clueless. You become clueless as to why your friends aren't really talking to you anymore. Why you're being invited to less and less things. It makes you clueless as a boss as to why you can't motivate your people to really take this thing to the next level. It makes you clueless around why that family member is now distant from you. It can be difficult to hear these things. That eights, when you're unhealthy, you can come across as relationally clueless. You lose your ability to read the room. When you're sitting down with folks and you're just saying things and you're just like, well, it's who I am. God made me this way. And you're not picking up on how those words are hurting the people around you. How you're handling that situation is, is um, pushing and crushing the people around you. It can be so difficult to work through that when you realize you're being relationally clueless. So again, you have to go back to that question, who am I fighting for in this moment? When I'm ready to step up and challenge something with my friend, my boss, coworker, just someone else that I know of, when I'm stepping into a situation to challenge it, am I fighting for other people 
Or am I fighting for myself right now? And these things lead to two specific things about unhealthy eights. Unhealthy eights can't see the value in other people's experiences. And this is what is so heartbreaking about an unhealthy season in an eight, is that this right here is what makes them powerful. What moves them to tackle the injustice in this world is that they do see things from other people's experiences. That other people's opinions actually matter. That they aren't just going around pointing out what's right and what's wrong, but rather they're understanding what's happening behind the curtain to make this situation wrong. That is the power of an eight, and you get robbed by it when you're in an unhealthy season. Unhealthy eights can use their power to dominate and get things done their way. You become a bulldozer at times when you're in that season. When you aren't recognizing the needs of people around you and focusing more on yourself and what you want in this world, you end up bulldozing people. And the people around you begin to distance themselves. And that control, that power that God gave you, that's inside of you, his gift, loses its influence in this world. Who am I fighting for? Another key litmus test within that is how you step towards people. When there is a situation happening, is your initial reaction judgment or is it grace? Your first step towards someone, are you saying, you are doing horrible things right now. This is right and this is wrong. Or are you saying, hey, help me understand what's happening here. Because I see something inside of you that's concerning and I want to know what is going on. Eights have a specific um, interest, a power that they can see people's experiences and understand what is actually going on in their life. And they're less concerned in that moment about what the law says and all these things and more concerned about what Jesus wants to do in their hearts. So what? So where do we go with this? What do we do? Let's all just take a deep breath. That is heavy. When you point out that people can be relationally clueless, that is heavy stuff. I thank Kirk for making me preach this. He didn't want to say it. No. Uh, I actually love eights. Uh, So if you listen to the podcast, you're aware of this, but we don't get too much into it up here on stage. But when a five is healthy, they lead from an eight, where they stand up for justice and... and, uh, um, and they just challenge and influence things. So eights are close to my heart. I can relate a lot to these things. Um, Pastor Nate, one of his daughters is an eight. And his own kids are like my own kids. And so like, um, man, uh, eights are close. My four-year-old daughter, Zoe, she, uh, we believe she's an eight. I mean, if you can type in a four-year-old, she's an eight. Uh, she told us the other day she's a vegetarian. I'm like, how do you even know what that is? I don't judge vegetarians, but I'm like, I make really good meat. (laughs) And she tells us, she was like, well, I like chicken and bacon. We're like, you're not a vegetarian. Yes, I am. I'm like, okay, (laughs) don't hit me. Um, Eights, man. (laughs) But I love it. I love it. And that's why we have to speak this truth this morning. 
We have to look at each other and say, all right, what, what is going on behind the scenes right here? Why are you stepping so hard in this direction? We have to judge who am I fighting for? Am I fighting for myself or am I fighting for someone else? Am I focused on my own agenda, my own will, or am I focused on God's will and agenda in this world? You got to ask yourself those gut questions. So I want to wrap up by uh, looking at a passage in that story that is often overlooked, that we just think it's just a random fact that the author's putting out there. But if you know anything about true contextual scripture reading, nothing is in there just by chance or just a random thing. There is things in the scripture that are specific and poignant and on purpose. And the author says this, for you have murdered Uriah the Hittite. This is so key right here. You see, David was king of Israel. He was king of the Jews. He was a Jew. He was influencing all these Jews. And someone from his kingdom, uh, Bathsheba, marries a foreigner, a Hittite. And David sees an opportunity to take care or take advantage of a foreigner. Someone who's different from him. Someone who is not from his nation and he thinks he can take advantage of that. And so God says an eight, a challenger to the situation and says, you will not treat anyone less than human. Just because they're from a different country, just because they're not like you, just because they have a different background than you, you do not get to treat them any differently. This goes beyond any type of, um, of nationality. It goes beyond any type of political debate. It goes beyond what any type of rule or law states. Remember, back in the day when Dr. King was fighting, those were the laws, if you look at just what is right and wrong through the systematic um, uh, approach, just through laws, what Dr. King was doing was wrong. It was a law, right? But even the law can be wrong. And Dr. King says, just because this is a law doesn't make it right. Just because when you look at a law as to what's right and what's wrong, it doesn't make this right in God's eyes. And he stood up to it. I think of Jesus and the adulterous woman who was brought to him by these group of Pharisees. They said she is caught red-handed and she doesn't deny it. And what the law states at that time is if you are caught in adultery, you're stoned to death right then and there. And they bring her before Jesus. And Jesus looks around there despite what the law says, despite what might be wrong and right. And he just says, whoever's perfect, go ahead. And one by one, these Pharisees leave. The Pharisees were right. Yet they were in the wrong. And this is what Jesus, or what God has Nathan stand up to. Just because they're different than you, just because of what you are allowed to do and how you can take advantage of people, doesn't make it right in God's eyes. And he sends someone to say, you will not treat the foreigner different than any other human. I don't care what type of label they have, you will not treat them less than human, less than yourself. And eight, that is your power to charge the battlefield, to stand up against injustice, to say this isn't right. 
I, I want to invite my friend Angelique up to stage right now. Angelique is what I would consider a healthy eight. She is someone who came to us several weeks ago with this thing that was put on her heart saying, can we do something about this? And so she's going to share right now what was put on her heart. Just kidding. Let's start fresh. Good morning. Um, I want to talk about the stigma of addiction. Addicts. They feel so much judgment from us, from the church, from people, from God, because they have so much shame around what they do. Um, over the summer, I had the opportunity to attend a recovery service for people in treatment, and it was the most loving, respectful, judgment-free service I'd ever been a part of. Um, you could feel the Lord in that place. Since then, it's been on my heart to see something similar for our city. We don't have anything like the, that in Lansing. We tie our services to stuff here. If you need something, you gotta go to a service first. I don't think that's what God intended for people. Um, so I started talking to the staff about it and I was hoping that they would do a recovery service. Like, do it already. Start one. <laughs> they know how to do it. I kept praying about it day and night. Um, Father, if it's your will, make a way. And if it's not, take it away from me because it was heavy. And I just wanted someone else to do it. I'm not qualified. I don't have a degree in anything. I'm not even an addict. But it, it remained. And so I went to staff and I said, hey, can we have a meeting? Can we sit down and talk about a recovery service? I, I think we could do it here. And they said, sure, we'll listen. And I cried through the entire meeting. I poured my heart out and my eyes. And I left the meeting feeling like I'd gotten a lot off my chest. I cried it all out, felt a little bit better. And then I was so worried that they thought I was a nut for crying so much. <laughs> They're probably never going to let me be in charge of anything. But a few really long weeks later, I got confirmation that we would start a recovery service here at Faith Church on Sunday nights at 6 o'clock in the Connection Center. The fellowship and connection created in a service that's designed for and promoted specifically to those with addiction bridges the gap between treatment, recovery, and church going. We know that addicts who connect with a higher power and who connect do better in their recovery. We know that when they don't connect, they don't do as well. Um, and, and who better than us? Um, a lot of people in treatment and recovery have father issues like the rest of us. Um, and a service like this gives them the space to learn to love our Heavenly Father can break down barriers, and gives them room to grow in grace and love and forgiveness, and it can truly transform hearts. When they can rest on his promises, they can change their lives. 
This church service tells them that not only are they welcome here at Faith, but we want them here. I'm so thankful to be part of a church that lives to give. So we plan to launch March 29th, and we need help. We need people to help serve. So I'm asking you all to search your hearts. See if, for you, loving on people with addictions in our community and their families is something that you're willing to do. It's something you can commit to once a week, once a month, every other week. We especially need help the first few months while we get going. We need greeters, singers, musicians, um, audiovisual. We need people to speak. We need someone to give a loving message. Who better than you, Faith Church? Who better than us? So we pray about serving. Thank you. Can we thank Angelique? That is a picture of an eight who's in a healthy season of her life who said, I remember we had a conversation a few months ago sitting right over there where she was just weeping saying, this is being put on my heart. And she wasn't trying to say, you guys suck. Like, <laughs> she was just saying, we need to do this. We need to do better. We need to step up and handle this social issue. And that is a picture of a healthy eight saying, I'm stepping into this injustice and I'm leading the charge. And I'm not just going to point people out and say, you guys go this way. I'm going to be comfortable sitting right here. No, this is an eight leading the charge. She was dreading doing that right there. She told me from the very first conversation that we had about a recovery service, she said, I'm happy to help out any way I can. I will not talk to people about it, though. <laughs> you will not get me on stage to talk about it. And I messaged her a little bit ago, and I was like, hey, you want to talk about it? She's like, no, but I will. <laughs> I'm like, all right, awesome. That's a picture of an eight who's saying, God, use me with your power to speak truth, justice, and hope into this world. And so right after service, she's going to be out at our welcome center wanting people to come ask questions about the recovery service, wanting people, she has a sign-up sheet, she is ready to take down your name, your info, and what role you might want to play. Do you want to greet? Do you want to make coffee? Do you want to push buttons on a TV? Watch how easy this is, guys. Like, there's different things that you can do <laughs> like that at this recovery service just to care for some lost sheep to care for people and prove to them that Jesus loves them right now. Not just when they get free from their addictions, but right now in the midst of their struggle, they are loved and cared for. And so after service, talk to Angelique out at the Welcome Center. If you have any type of tug right now in your heart, would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this moment that we've had with you, for you, from you. We praise you for how you've moved this morning. Your word about Nathan and David and standing up to the injustice and Nathan saying from you, God, that you will not take advantage of other people. And so we just thank you for the eights in this room. The people who are willing to stand up for those who can't. And we just pray that you draw the rest of us. We may not be eights. We may not be the ones on the front lines. But Father, we will follow those who are leading that charge. Place something in our hearts right now, drawing us closer 
to you, to your will, your agenda in this world, what you want done for that recovery service. And we just pray over the recovery service. We pray over Angelique. We just ask that you continue to move and bless that ministry. We love you, Father, and we praise you. It's in your name we pray, amen.